And the title of the message is Leadership We Are Cared For. We are cared for. I hope that's a, 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 a message that, or a, a sentiment or a thought that resonates with, with you all. It does with me as we think about um, what the church is and how great it is. It uh, got me thinking about a story um, from the Old Testament. Little did this young king know but that he would reign into his very old age, becoming the wealthiest and the most successful king in all of his nation's history. And for him it all began with this one question, who is able to govern this your great people? So began the reign of Solomon, David's son. And all he asked for in that moment with that question was the wisdom to lead well. The wisest king in Israel's history asked a fundamental question related to leadership. Great people, and certainly Israel at that time was a great people, but great people require great care. Great people require great leadership. Who's able to do it? Who is able to lead? Solomon's wondering about this was in the context of leading an entire nation. But the question is, I think, just as appropriate for us today, for us in the church. Who's able to lead God's church, His people? Who can give them the care that they need? Well, that's the question that I want to help answer from this passage in Acts chapter 20. So, if you would turn with me in your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, verses, and we're going to focus in on just a few verses in the middle, but I want to read this whole uh, address. So, beginning at verse 17 through verse 35. Acts 20, beginning at verse 17. So, follow along with me as I read aloud. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you every, anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves 
and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. The key truth behind everything in Paul's address to the Ephesian elders is this. The church belongs to God. The church belongs to God. Notice because he says in verse 28, we're going to spend a lot of time around verse 28, so zero in there. What it says there in verse 28 is, he obtained it with his own blood. The he there is God. He, God, obtained it. And his own blood refers to the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus as God the Son died on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for the church. And that's how he was able to obtain it. How he was able to gain possession, in a sense, of the church. The, the fact then, the, the result is that the church belongs to God. The Father. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus, the Son. And He appointed leaders by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to show you in this passage. That the church belongs to God, therefore we must understand who the Holy Spirit appointed to lead the church. Who the Holy Spirit appointed to lead the church. The leaders that Paul was talking to... Look all the way back to verse 17. They were the elders, the elders of the church in Ephesus. These were the men who had been appointed leaders of the church. In the New Testament, the word for elder is presbyteros. It's a fun, fun word to say, presbyteros. It often, often it referred to the male leaders in Jewish life, such as leaders of the synagogue, a local synagogue, or leaders of the Sanhedrin. But beginning in Acts, the word um, began, to be ref began to refer to the male leaders of the church. In, in, for instance, in Acts 14, verse 23, the apostles were on their first journey, and they appointed elders for the disciples in every church. In Acts 15, the church in Jerusalem was under the leadership of both the apostles and the elders. In the New Testament letter, uh, letters, this term for elders, or term for leaders in the church, continues Paul refers to elders in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and verse 19. And again in Titus 1, verse 5. And you can just, if you want to jot some of those words down, or you can do a, a go to BibleGateway.com and just do a search. Just put in the word elder, and you'll find all of these references in the New Testament. But again in Acts, or excuse me, in Titus 1, 5, he says to Titus, appoint elders 
in every town as I directed you. Peter, Peter we, we looked at, uh, Peter, we have, a, we have a, I think a lot of recordings, an uh, entire message series on 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and verse 5, he exhorts the elders among you. He writes to them, as a fellow elder. And then he tells the church to be subject to the elders. The pattern of the New Testament church is this. That the church is led by elders. So this statement, the church is led by elders, may seem a little bit, um, a little, little bit unusual, a little bit like, okay, what was he talking about here? Because, you know, especially if you come from a Baptist background, you may be surprised to see that elders, this title for elders, is used all throughout the New Testament church. So what were these guys? I mean, we, we, we in, in most Baptist churches have a congregation that kind of runs everything. That We get together and we take a vote and, and we decide how to do things and that's the way it is. What's the deal with these elders? Sounds like, sounds like Presbyterian. Does it, Presbyterian, presbyteros, you see the connection there? Between the Greek word and, and the tradition of, of uh, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are from a Presbyterian background. Um, other traditions um, have no leaders at all who hold the title of elder. Churches I grew up in, the only kind of elder we, we knew of that I was aware of were either the Presbyterian church down the street or the Mormon missionaries um, with their little name tags that said elder so-and-so. So what's the deal with this? Um, what is the deal with elders? How can, how can this New Testament pattern then live in a Baptist church, for instance? Well, regardless of, let me just say this, regardless of a church's traditions, a denomination's traditions, or what they've done, the pattern of the New Testament church is clear. That, these, that elders lead the New Testament church. The passage here, I think, in... in Acts 20, verses 28 to 30, which we're going to focus in on, I think will help us to understand, number one, who elders are, how they function, and what their activity consists of. What do they do? All of this is based on the, the, the basic key truth, the premise of this entire passage, and that is that the church belongs to God. So first of all, if the church belongs to God, its leaders must be mature. They, its leaders must be mature. The very first thing there, the very first command that appears in this entire address is in verse 28, when Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves. The uh, New American Standard Bible, I like how it puts it, it says, be on guard for yourselves. The idea is that they must be in a constant state of alert. Be in a constant state of alert. Be on guard. Be on watch. Keep watch. Keep alert. The reason for that is that elders must have a spiritual maturity for the job that they have, for the position that they have in the church. Maturity not just in advanced age. So oftentimes we, we tell our kids, um, at least I was told this when I was a kid. I don't know if we tell, that, tell it to our kids much anymore, but Respect your elders, right? And we mean those who are in advanced age, those who are older than you. Um, we think of maybe my parents' generation as elders or 
the senior adults as the elders in the church. But that's not the way that elders was used in the New Testament church. It was used for those men of God who were spiritually mature. Paul, in fact, told Timothy, who was a young man, with all of the characteristics, qualities, and responsibilities of an elder, told him, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And then notice what Paul's example was throughout this testimony, throughout this address to the elders in Ephesus. Um, scan with me down here. Paul, um, Paul gives himself as an example of four things. Number one, he gives himself an example of community. In verse 18 he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. He lived with them. He was part of the community. Elders are not exempt from being in community. Elders are, must, be aware, must beware of setting themselves apart. Like, I am an elder. I don't have to go uh, be part of community. I don't need to fellowship with other people. I have the Bible, and I have the pulpit, and I have my responsibilities. I don't have time for community. But the implication from, the, from this passage and from, from Paul's life is that elders are, are a vital part of the community. They're not exempt. They are, in fact, verse 28 says, to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In which they are in the flock of God, not apart from it. That's, that's community, the example of community. But he also set an example in character. Look at verse 19. He says he serves the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials. So without going into all the background detail of all of the experiences that Paul had in Ephesus, which you can read in chapter 19 of Acts, but you can see that the, what he's talking about is his, his, his character, he lived with humility with them. He, he, had, he, he shed tears with them. He felt for them. He endured with them. He went through trials with them. He was a man of character. In the lists of characteristics in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which I'll reference a, a few times more to, today, he states that elders must be above reproach. And then he goes on to list character qualities. Character qualities. The, the New Testament puts a lot more emphasis on the character of leaders rather than their job descriptions. I sometimes wish that there were more job descriptions written down so we'd be a little more clear and we'd know, okay, so what are elders supposed to do? What, what is a pastor's job? What are, what are their responsibilities? And we get those from all, other, all kinds of other places in the Bible. Um, but most of the lists we get are lists of character. Character. Paul also set an example in his commitment. In his commitment. Look at verses 22 to 24. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And he says, I don't count my life of any value if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received. Paul is committed to the mission. Paul is committed to what God has called him to do and to be. He's not going to um, put it aside. He's not going to leave off doing what he is supposed to do. 
He's committed. So one of the implications for us as a church is, do we have elders who are committed to the mission of the church here? Do we have elders who are not only qualified and called and equipped, but who are actually committed? Beware. Beware of appointing elders who have potential, but who lack commitment. Paul also set an example in his contentment. His contentment. Look all the way down at the end of his address, and look what he says. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. <laughs> and then he goes on to say how he worked with his hands, he showed how he must work, and then he said, he quotes a verse from, or he quotes from Jesus himself, a, a verse we don't find anywhere in the Gospels, so it must have got left out when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing theirs. But he said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul understood that uh, elders cannot be and are not motivated by income level or social status. Paul wrote later that an elder is not a lover of money. He wrote that in 1 Timothy 3. He also wrote later in his letter to Timothy in, in chapter 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain because there were many people coming into the church thinking, hmm, this might be a lucrative uh, uh, job for me. Maybe if I get this job as a, as a preacher or a teacher or an elder in, a, in this church that I'll make a good, I'll make a good income. Um, but, he says... The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it, how often has a church seen would-be elders, potential elders in ministry, fall into temptation, as Paul said, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction and eventually wander, he said, away from the truth or away from the faith. In the New Testament, elders may or may not have received an income from the local church. So for us today, as we, as we think through this, well, what does that mean for, okay, elders need to be content, exactly, but what should we be as a, as a church for elders? Some, some, may, uh, uh, some, some modern churches may consist of, of a mixture of non-paid elders, maybe bivocational elders, in many churches, there will be a single elder, or who, you know, typically we just call them the pastor, who works a job uh, full-time and pastors the church um, for very little money at all. And then, of course, there are those who are, who are able to um, put their full time into serving the church and are paid uh, equal to that work. Regardless of their status, though, elders must cultivate godly contentment through, as Paul showed, hard work as well as generous giving. Community character, commitment, contentment, these are the examples of maturity that Paul set for the elders at Ephesus. Paul understood that if the church belongs to God, its leaders must be mature. In addition, though, he wants us to know this, if the church belongs to God, its leaders must Lead. They actually lead. And that's what he called the elders to do. In verse 28, he said, he said to them, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
So the term overseers is the word episkopos, and it refers to the way that elders function in the church, the way they function. As overseers, elders have the role of spiritual leaders. The term, sometimes in some of our English translations, it's translated as bishop. But it occurs several times in the New Testament. Paul wrote to the overseers and deacons in Philippi. And that's in Philippians 1, verse 2. And he gave instructions about the characteristics of elders, in, again in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and he called them overseers. And Peter then uses the, the, the same root of that word, but he uses it in a verb form in 1 Peter 5, 2, when he says that elders are to exercise oversight. And in the same letter, excuse me, in the same letter, Peter also called Jesus the overseer of your souls. Here, the Holy Spirit, he says, has made you overseers. Maybe a better way of stating that would be the Holy Spirit has appointed or assigned you to be overseers. It is the Holy Spirit who assigns this task in the church giving gifts to these men for the function and the task that they are supposed to carry out in the church. These may include, um, if, you think about, if you think about gifts that are appropriate for elders, for overseers, they, they may include, but certainly not limited to, uh, gifts of leadership or prophecy or teaching, apostleship, Maybe administration, evangelism, shepherding. All of those would be appropriate gifts that you would say, well, if, if you have gifts in that ballpark, excuse me, that ballpark, maybe God has equipped you to be an, an overseer of sorts. But, you know, what gift is an elder supposed to have? Paul doesn't say. <laughs> he doesn't say what gift an el elder is supposed to have. Maybe an elder slash overseer would have the gift of, of mercy. Maybe that would be his, his greatest gift or a gift of service would be um, the top of the list. But regardless of, of unique spiritual gifting, there is one ability that is necessary for elders to function as overseers. And that comes from 1 Timothy 3. In a list of all of these characteristics, most of them are are unremarkable for the fact that they should belong to and they should be characteristics of every follower of Jesus in 1 Timothy 3. But one stands out among the rest, and that is able to teach. At the very least, an overseer must have the ability to teach, to explain what the Bible means so that others can obey it. Don't turn that into a requirement a gift, a gift requirement, but certainly the ability to explain the Bible so that others can understand it and obey it. Elders then function as overseers insofar as they provide that kind of spiritual leadership by teaching truth from God's Word. And that was Paul's example. Paul's example throughout this. Verse 20, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And next he says, and teaching you in public and from house to house. 20, verse 21 he says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. And what does he testify about? 
repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 24, he, te he testifies to the gospel or testified to the gospel of the grace of God. And then in verse 27 again, he says again, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Two times he used that phrase, I, I did not shrink from declaring. In other words, he never hesitated. Never hesitated to share the good news of Jesus in every opportunity that he had to anyone who would hear. The church then must have elders who fulfill the function of overseers of the church. They provide the spiritual leadership by teaching truth from God's Word. They do not hesitate to share the good news of Jesus at any opportunity and by any means to any person. They may have diverse spiritual gifts, but each one must have the ability to explain what the Bible means so that others can obey it. The church belongs to God, so its leaders must lead. But also, if the church belongs to God, its leaders must care, right? That's what this message title is. We are cared for. And that's why Paul said, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, he said, to care for the church of God. To care for the church of God. To, to care is to act as a shepherd. To watch out for other people. The, the root of this word is poimen. And it's the word for shepherd. The word for shepherd. The word, we get, uh, we get the word pastor from the Latin word for shepherd. So when you see this idea of, of pastor or shepherd in the New Testament, you can think of the word that we use for, for the, the preacher man, for the pastor of the church. He's the shepherd of the flock that is there gathered together. The shepherd motif is, is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. But several times in the New Testament, it's significant. In, in John's Gospel, in his last, last uh, uh, little story, Jesus tells Peter to tend my sheep, to pastor his sheep. Peter then picks up and repeats this own idea in his letter when he tells the elders to shepherd, the verb, to actively shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Then Paul elsewhere writes that one of the equipping roles in the church, one of the roles that, that God gave to the church to equip it and to build it up is that of pastor or shepherd. And of course, Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd, poimen. A title that Peter affirmed in his letter and also the writer of Hebrews affirms calling Jesus the shepherd. The shepherd, of course, has two primary ways of caring for his sheep. He provides for them and he protects them. We've already seen how elders functioning as overseers care for the flock by teaching truth from God's, God's Word. That way, in that way, the church is nourished and fed. It grows. But the other way elders care for the flock is by protecting them. And that's what he says next. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Elders care 
by protecting the flock from outsiders or from outside takeover or from, well, from wolves. The greatest threat to a herd of sheep in the first century was wolves, right? I mean, they could easily decimate the flock by picking off the weak ones or the sick ones. Shepherds had to be forever vigilant against wolves, right? That's why Paul said, pay careful attention to all the flock. In other words, be on constant alert. Be alert for wolves. Paul knew, he knew that when he left and he sent the elders back to their church and they went back to their church and they cared for them and they shepherded and they were overseers, they were pastoring, eldering. Eldering's not a word, but you, you know, they did their job. He knew that outsiders would attempt to infiltrate the church. They would claim to care for the church. They would claim to have good intentions. And they would ha claim to have great ideas as well. I've got some great ideas for your church and how it can do this or do that. But in reality, they were only feeding off of the sheep. Not sparing the flock, he says, <laughs> they will do. Not sparing the flock. They, in other words, they would have no concern for the safety, the well-being, or the health of the church or the individual Christians therein. We as a church must then learn to recognize wolves in sheep clothing. Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits, Matthew chapter 7. God gave elders to the church in order to run off the wolves. See, elders' job then to test the intentions of outsiders to ensure the safety and the health of the church. Now you may be, you may be wondering, then how, how, how are we to be, have open doors and welcoming and come on in, we, we love you, we want you to be part of our church. It's a, it's a fine line, right? But it, the elder's job is to test whether people come in and are saying, hey, I want to get in here and get a little power and get a little control so that I can feed off of you all. But the elders not only have to protect against outside, uh, uh, outside takeover, if you will, but also from inside heresy. Inside heresy. He says, verse 30, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Sheep are easily led off the path, aren't they? I don't... You probably not spend much time with sheep. I haven't spent much time with sheep. I see some of them out there wandering in the fields every once in a while. But sheep are easily wander off of a path. They easily stray away. And when one little sheep goes, the rest of them go, Hey, hey, that sounds good. I'll follow the rest of them. The shepherd has to be on, once again, constant alert to his sheep so that he can prevent an errant sheep from actually leading the rest of the flock away. But see, Paul's concern about errant sheep, although it was highly applicable to the church, his, his concept and his idea was even more serious. He saw, he described them as men speaking twisted things, speaking perversions. It might be a, a good literal uh, term for that expression. These were no mere innocent, mistaken sheep. 
Oh, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't mean to. They intended to draw away the disciples after them. How, did that ha how would that happen? How would that happen? How would, how would a sheep suddenly decide, hmm, I think I'm going to stray a little bit. Well, it could be easy. When we draw away from, when we get off of the truth of God's Word, when we hear a little bit of our own uh, voice um, bouncing back at us from the pages of Scripture, rather than hearing the voice of God, and we, we are uh, tempted then to fall into error and lead other people with us. Paul addressed this concern to them and said that for three years, in verse 31, for three years I did not cease night and or day to admonish everyone with tears. That's why he says to be alert. To be alert to this. I admonished you for three years, night and day, telling you, correcting you, revealing truth to you, so that you would not stray. But, elders, you must be there to correct false teaching, to correct the sheep, the, the people in the church, when they decide, you know what? I don't really want to. I don't really want to believe that anymore. Or, I don't really want to address that sin in my life anymore. Elders must always teach what is true and consistent with God's Word. The church then should know as well what it believes and why it believes it. And that's part of the reason why elders are there. They protect the flock but they protect it and they do so by building them up. Building up the flock. Verse 32 he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The primary means of protecting the church from outside and from within is by boldly proclaiming God and the word of His grace, which is the good news of Jesus. No program, no set of bylaws. We've, we're familiar with those. We're wrestling through some of those right now. No leadership pipeline or training plan or whatever else will protect the church as well as the good news of Jesus revealed in the story of God. There's not any curriculum or Bible study or even a church structure or church polity or form of government that if it is not based on and focused on the good news of Jesus will ever have any lasting effect on the health and the well-being of the church. God loves His church. The church belongs to God. And He wants His elders to care for His church, to protect it, to provide for it, to nurture it, to feed it, to build it up in the grace of God, with the good news of God. Remember Solomon's question? Who is able to lead? Who is capable of this? 
Who is able to lead God's church? It will take elders who are mature, certainly. Examples of community, character, commitment, contentment. It will take elders who lead, who, who provide spiritual leadership by teaching truth from God's Word. It will take elders who care for the church, who provide for it and protect it from wolves and from heretics, who are committed to building up the flock. Who is able to lead the church? I would say it has to be a group of men called and equipped for the task. Yes, but the answer is even more complicated than that, actually. Because the wisest and most skillful elder, overseer, shepherd, slash pastor is completely and totally inadequate without the power that comes from the chief elder the overseer of our souls, the good shepherd. And unless the chief elder is, is over his, his church, unless the overseer of our souls is leading his church, unless the good shepherd is caring for his church, then it really doesn't matter who those elders are. Who was able to lead? There was and only has ever been one man worthy to lead his church. And it's only by his grace that he allows elders to lead as his under-shepherds, as his under-elders, Jesus. He is the church's elder. He's the church's overseer. He is the church's pastor. Because of Jesus, then the elders of, of any church can humbly fulfill their function in the church without fear, with, with, in fact, with total confidence that God is who He says He is. And Jesus is the one leading them and the church. And all they have to do is follow Jesus. Because of Jesus, the church can then respond appropriately, respect and support, following their elders, knowing that it is Jesus who is looking out for them. Jesus who cares for them. We are cared for. The church belongs to God. Therefore, we understand exactly who the Holy Spirit has appointed to lead the church. Let me ask you to respond Maybe in a couple of different ways. God, God, calls, um, God calls men to be elders. And we have a few men here. Is God calling any of you to that, to that function in the church? Have you ever considered, do you have, do you have the desire, the, the prick of conscience... Um, the gifts, maybe, that are consistent with the call to be an elder. You may not fully understand what that means, and you may not be equipped fully to do it. But if God is calling you to that, will you respond and will you pursue that call and seek discernment and seek confirmation by others in the church, by other men who are in the function of 
elders. But the fact remains that most of you, most of us, uh, as a church, um, are not and will not be elders. The question for you then begins, uh, are you even a part of the flock? Part of God's church? Have you received the gift of grace that's offered through the good news of Jesus? Offered through His death on the cross? Have you received salvation? Have you been become part of His family? Are you then part of that family that is cared for by its leaders and by the Good Shepherd? And if you are, here's a question. Are you praying for the leaders in the church? Respect and respecting, listening to them, encouraging them, looking for ways to support them or to follow them more closely? Are you looking to them for spiritual leadership? Are you, are you, getting, are you looking to them to, uh, to feed and nourish you? Or getting your spiritual fix somewhere else? If you are an elder, and I know that for our church, this is probably a, a future question, but it's certainly a question that I ask myself. Are you in constant state of alert for your own life and for that of the church? Are you maturing as an elder? Are you leading as an overseer as you should? Are you caring for the church? Let's pray. Father, I ask that that, Father, you will do the work that you require um, in us. God, um, your word goes out to us and you expect a response and you, you require a response. God, we can, uh, we can, we can thumb our noses at, at Michael and, and be okay to the extent that he's just a man. But God, if we thumb our noses at you, we're, we're, in, we're, in, we're in very thin ice. God, if we, if we come and we hear your word and you, you speak to us a convicting word and, and God, we ignore it. God, we're, we're just, we're in a bad place. So God, I ask that every one of us, every one of us who, who've heard your word today and heard a specific sense of calling, um, you've given us a specific direction maybe for our lives. You have convicted us of a, of a specific area in our life that needs to be under your control, under your sovereignty. There's a, a specific thing that you want us to do, to say, maybe to begin a new habit this week, uh, make a decision public today, um, confess a sin, whatever it might be, God. Lord, let us not ignore it. Lord, let us deal with that with you today right here in this place.
We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.